electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Leslie Picker and Mike Santoli, live at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Cramer and David Faber have the morning off. Kicking off Q3, kind of how we left Q2. Futures are red. More deflationary signals from the likes of Micron has the two-year yield at 282, down 60 basis points in just 10 days. 10-year 289. Our roadmap begins with tech's belt tightening. Facebook parent Meta, the latest name to cut company talent. As Zuckerberg warns, this might be one of the worst downturns that we've seen in recent history. Plus, Kohl's ending talks to sell its business, sending shares tanking nearly 20% in pre-market. We've got the details. And Micron under pressure despite beating on earnings as the CEO warns of weakening consumer demand. Let's start with the markets as we look to bounce back a little bit after the S&P posts its worst first half since 1970, guys. From a micro corporate standpoint, Mike, it was Nike, then Bed Bath, then RH, and now it's Micron and to a lesser extent Kohl's today. Yes. Um, and they are, in a sense, the companies are confirming a lot of the apprehension that we've seen in the market. They are ratifying what's happened to valuations to some degree and saying that the markets in general, as you mentioned, the two year yield uh, is pivoting toward being much more concerned about the magnitude of a slowdown and dipping into recession, especially in a week when, you know, Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, says things that could be implied uh, it could be inferred as, as meaning that the a recession is kind of the feature and not the bug of the tightening <laughs> campaign. And I'm not saying that's really true. They're not trying to do that. But coming with fiscal contraction and all the rest, uh, the side effects of the inflation medicine are having a, a pretty si- significant impact. Big question is, how much has the market already figured that out? Okay. Oh. Uh, you know, the average stock down 30% from its high in the S&P. It's been cut in half in the NASDAQ. Valuations have rationalized to some degree. You know, Micron would be an interesting example of this, right? Stock's down 40% going into this number. Absolutely massive down uh, revenue guidance for the coming quarter. And stock's going to be down a bit, but not dramatically. So we'll see if that can be uh, something of a, um, of a template for, for how we kind of digest what's probably going to be a messy earnings season. Goldman would argue that the market hasn't actually figured it out. They have a new note out saying that the renewed sell-off in equity markets is still high because investors are still only pricing in a mild recession. And then you had that Michael Burry tweet, <laughs> tweet uh, of Big Short fame where he basically is saying that the, the sell-off is only halfway over and that we've seen a compression in multiples, but we haven't seen it in earnings. And so, you know, as we look ahead for the next week or so, we've got Probably some pretty tepid trading volumes as we go into earnings season, though. Those will ramp up uh, and we will start to get some news and get a better sense of what happened during the second quarter. Yeah, uh, maybe halfway there, as Burry says. And with that, yesterday we had Atlanta Fed uh, track a Q2 GDP uh, negative. Goldman cuts to 1.9. B of A cuts to 1.5. And then the break-evens, Mike. Uh, yeah. Five-year break-even, lowest since October. Ten-year, lowest since September. Can we 
start to think about a classic downturn and not a stagflationary downturn in that case? I think so. And I think there's also a big question about what the, the character of a downturn might be, uh, meaning um, will it have the full effect on unemployment that a typical recession has had? We had such a tight labor market. We have theoretically excess job openings. Um, you don't have the consumer balance sheet, sheet stress in the same position. Obviously, what the market's struggling with is, you know, the bond market can impl implicitly declare victory on, it, on the inflation and say it's peaked and it's going to be trending lower, even if it's because of a downtrend. The Fed can't act as if it's done the job right. yet. Well, the until moment we they see do, the numbers. they unwind all their good work. Right. Uh, or it's just going to be seen as too late uh, to actually rescue what growth is looking like. So, again, I, I, I look at a Michael Burry tweet like that. And first of all, is that not becoming consensus? Valuations are down, but wait for the earnings revisions low. I mean, that's what people are just geared for right now. I think it's becoming what the mantra is. We've heard it on our air all week. Now, the way it works is the valuations going down is the market's way of saying we think earnings are coming in lower. It's not right. because they've decided the fair value is that much lower. So I think that there's a lot of play in here. It's very difficult to say, yep, we've reached that moment. We've, we've, we've already discounted, uh, you know, the worst or the pl most plausible scenario. So it's, it's a tough one. Um, I could say, you know, sentiment is where it probably has to be. Uh, even if it's not panicky, it's mostly you got to wrung a lot of optimism out of the system. Credit's a little bit of an issue now because yeah. the credit markets are acting like this this macro picture is getting a little more stressful. Right. Well, maybe we can touch on some high yield and IG uh, names later on in the hour. GM is a big story. It was halted a few moments ago. You heard the news from Phil LeBeau. Kind of has some dovetailing effect with the Micron news. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Carl. And what General Motors is saying is that the chip crisis, we knew that it was going to be hurting deliveries uh, in the second quarter to a certain extent with everybody. But General Motors is saying they have 95,000 vehicles that they've built, that they are ready to ship to dealers. I'm imagining that most of these have already been pre-ordered, pre-sold essentially to different people, but they don't have the chips necessary in order to finish the vehicle completely so that they can deliver it to the dealer. The significance here is that in the auto industry, it is not a sale. You do not book revenue until you actually deliver a vehicle to a dealership. So that's 95,000 vehicles in sales in revenue that General Motors could not realize or will not be able to realize in the second quarter. Nonetheless, the company expects to deliver them by the end of the year. They expect to have the same full year earnings that they had previously uh, issued as guidance. So that does not change. But in terms of the Q2 sales and deliveries, there's the impact there in terms of those 95,000 vehicles. But overall, sales down 15%. The estimate, according to Edmonds, was for sales to be down 17%. So a little bit better. But keep in mind, Carl, the, nobody's going to get excited about sales being down 15% when the street was expecting a decline of 17%. Bottom line is they continue to be constricted in terms of production because of chips. There's still far more demand than there is supply of new vehicles. Right. Uh, as for Tesla, Phil, um, it's actually going to open higher this morning. We've yep. had delivery numbers cut this week by City, Mizuho, Deutsche, yep. Webbush. And with some of these Neos and Xpengs coming in, is there a sense that maybe they can hit the mark? Well, I think that everybody is looking at uh, Tesla and they're saying, take away the second quarter. China was a disaster in terms of not for Tesla, but they had the lockdowns in Shanghai. So you, you have to bring down the numbers dramatically for Tesla. They have started to ramp up production again. 
The, the NEO and the X paying, Carl, the thing to keep in mind with those is those stocks move dramatically on the slightest bit of news out of China. But look at the volume that they have in China right now relative to Tesla. Doesn't mean they can't catch up. And I know there are some who believe that they will have a portfolio at NEO that ultimately could catch Tesla. But right now, it's really, really low volume relative to Tesla. Yep. That's important to keep in mind. Phil, a ton on your beat today. We'll talk soon, I imagine. That's our Phil LeBeau on GM. Let's turn to Meta this morning, the Facebook parent, the latest tech company to cut its hiring plans. According to this report from Reuters in an employee Q&A, Zuckerberg warned it might be, quote, one of the worst downturns we've seen in recent history. He went on to say, quote, realistically, there are probably a bunch of people at the company who shouldn't be here. And they're, according to Reuters, uh, looking at an engineer hiring target now in the six to 7,000 range, whereas they came into the year, Leslie, more like 10,000. Yeah, the engineering part of this is really remarkable because engineering talent has been so difficult to find in Silicon Valley. You often have to pay up for that. Uh, Stock-based compensation, though, if you look at a company like Meta or a lot of its big tech peers, stock prices have fallen so much that in order to be competitive, it's much more difficult. Um, but when you start to kind of think about lower forecasts for your engineering talent, that is an indication that they are taking this seriously. They are taking the potential for a down, downturn seriously. Um, and it begs the question, which of their big tech peers might follow? Uh, truest. Yes. To, actually, yeah, it is Truist today. Names it uh, one of their best ideas. You know, uh, Reuters had a similar story yesterday about Comcast, our parent, yeah. and the upfront, uh, according to a source, calling it the best upfront commitment since Comcast acquired NBC. So it does make you wonder whether the ad market's holding in firmer than Zuckerberg seems to be suggesting. Yes. I mean, I think the economy and, and I, I think the general feeling around the fact that there's a retrenchment going on gives a company like Meta the, the, the permission, essentially, to say we're no longer in rapid growth mode. We're no longer in hoarding talent mode. We have a platform that investors love because it's just automatic. It's like the Google search box. And, you know, why do we need tens of thousands of people doing things around it? I'm not saying that's the correct assumption, but that's the way the market would love for these companies to think about themselves. And now that the economy is doing what it's doing, there, you, you can say, well, ad, ad demand softening up. Maybe we have to just pull in our sights uh, for, for how much growth is going to be. And you try to just help the margins out along the way. We saw that a little bit with Elon Musk and, and Tesla yeah. as well, too, where they're kind of almost floating this idea of a natural attrition, this idea, you know, if you don't want to come into the office, you can go find employment elsewhere. I mean, it seems like tech and some of these higher growth companies or higher growth of the past are looking for ways to trim costs now. Um, you know, potentially we'll see more of a fallout from yeah. that later this laying year. Laying off without laying off, exactly. for, for example. Yeah. 72,000 employees at, at, at Meta at this point right now. Wow. And it's a lot. Cheryl Sandberg is not one of them. That's right. She's uh, <laughs> or soon won't be one of them. Not, yeah. Uh, when you look at sectors, I mean, there's been a lot of obviously uh, retro, retro, retrospection about Q2, Mike. But discretionary and comm services were the worst. Uh, the least bad were staples and utilities yeah. and energy. Obviously, um, is there a sense of a mean reversion on some of these sectors going into Q3? You know, it's it's so far it's been painful to try to anticipate that moment when. We said enough is enough on this defensive trade. So, uh, so far, the leadership still is very classically defensive and very boring. And that's been the, the rule. Pharma, quietly, we don't talk about big pharma. It's cheap. It's value. It's steady. Uh, insurance within financials, 
has worked actually pretty well. Uh, that's kind of a direct yield play and, and things like that. They can actually make money on their bonds uh, in terms of holding to maturity. So I, I think that there are, are, are right now, you can say it's gone pretty far. Like I was looking at the equal weight of consumer discretionary forward multiple. It's gone from 28 to 14 in about 14, 15 months. Um, consumer staples, rock steady, is now a big premium to consumer discretion. That's equal weight. So that doesn't account really for Amazon and Tesla taking over so much of it. Uh, is that enough? Is that cheap? Is that just fair value? Do these, these swings stop in the middle at fair value or do they have to overshoot? And that, that's where we are, I think, at the moment. You know, micro caps have really fallen, fallen behind in terms of even relative to small caps. So the message of the market is, you know, we're backing away from risk. We're not embracing it. Uh, we think it's not the moment to, to get cyclical again. Uh, you know, I, I think you could say a lot of the work has been done, but y you never know if it's, uh, if, it's, if it's fully there. Is there anything to be made of kind of historical precedent? I guess there are two um, instances, two years, where the first half has yeah. declined more than what we saw this year um, in 62 and 1970, in which case during the second half of the year there were massive rebounds. Yeah. One uh, in... Uh, the first six months of, or the second six months of 62 rising 15%, the second six months of 70 rising 27%. Is there anything we can glean from that? Just looking kind of to yeah. hold on to some dose of optimism for the second I mean, half of the year. I think you can say, first of all, small sample size, as anybody would grant. <laughs> Um, I think what you could say is markets never just go down in a straight line. And, you know, they, they tend to have a little bit uh, of recovery, certainly in the, when the calendar gets more friendly later in the year. 1962 has always been a very interesting example. We've talked to, with Art Cashin about it. It was a non-recessionary bear market. Um, I mean, there was like a lot of economic static going on. Um, but that was one that I think people were hopeful about. Also, the peak was right at the start of the year, as it was this year. 1970, as I said yesterday, we were down for a year before we got into that year. And, and that was pretty much a, you know, a, a kind of grinding bear market. So I don't know if I want to hinge it on, well, history says we're going up <laughs> in the second half, uh, except to say that there will be relief along the way, most likely, as we figure out that either the slowdown is not coming through as much as we thought, uh, or the Fed is going to be forced to turn friendlier again, or, you know, we've, we've just kind of discounted. Stuff. Yeah, or as Stovall suggested this morning, maybe the midterms mean the relief comes later uh, than the second half. That's what yeah. the textbook says yeah. as well. Um, recent midterm years haven't adhered that well to it, but yeah, yeah. could be. Uh, after the break, we're going to hit some of the cruise lines. Uh, what a week. The biggest laggards on the S&P for the quarter. Royal Caribbean, Carnival, Norwegian, all down around 50% or more in that three-month period. We'll get to this downgrade on FedEx. We'll talk some Kohl's, Macau, some of the fallout on Micron for phones and PCs and data centers. As for the 10-year, wow, 287. And the long bond, just nine basis points above three. A lot more squawk on the street is straight ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. 
For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Cruise stocks sinking among the worst quarter performers as we head into the second half of the year. Joining us with his outlook for the sector, Truist analyst Patrick Scholes. Uh, Patrick, uh, good to have you here this morning. Yeah, the, the, the travel trade really did reverse uh, recently. Even things like hotels, uh, in addition to airlines and cruise lines, people worried about just sort of this kind of concentrated demand maybe going into the summer for bookings and then falling off. Does that make sense? Do you think that's going to actually uh, come through in terms of these companies' results? Well, as far as the overall travel sector, um, certainly I would say there's less a concern about uh, hotels um, and more of a concern about uh, cruise lines. Um, you know, overall, obviously, leisure extremely strong for the uh, summer. For the fall, for um, hotels, you know, maybe a little bit of a slowdown as we get more into the, the business travel season. Um, but, you know, looking at the back half of the year, as far as uh, things like hotel group bookings, uh, it still remains uh, very solid. Well, the cruise lines, uh, you know, obviously pricing has uh, p- perhaps been an issue. And, of course, capital structures are an issue. I mean, what they had to do to stay uh, stay in business for a while, raising a lot of debt uh, and, uh, and selling more shares keeps them in a tough position. What's your outlook right now among, let's say, the three big ones? Yeah, um, I mean, certainly it's uh, sheesh. I mean, it's been it, it, it's been uh, challenging. I, you know, it's going to be challenging uh, for all of them. And really, the issue is boiled down to you just have a ton of uh, capacity uh, out there, and just not enough uh, pricing power to uh, at least fill the ships at attractive pricing in light of uh, oil prices going up, um, food prices going up. You know, I'm. I remain um, very con- very uh, concerned about the group, um, especially in light of um, uh, major refinancings uh, coming up that are, for you know, for example, Royal Caribbean has eight billion dollars of uh, debt coming up over the next uh, year and a half. So uh, certainly, I at, you know, at this point, I can't uh, recommend uh, any of them, and I certainly I don't have buy ratings on any of them. Uh, in fact, a sell rating on Carnival. Yeah, presumably a, a much higher refinancing rate for, for them. Um, just looking in terms of potential catalysts for this group, what happens if vaccination and COVID testing requirements uh, do get dropped? Is that a, a positive for cruise stocks or is that a, oh. a potential negative as people just fear being on a cruise ship and getting sick because there's less precaution? Yeah, those would be huge positives, especially uh, dropping the vaccination requirement. You know, unfortunately, it does not seem that it's going to be happening this year. Um, if there's a little bit of luck, it you know might happen somewhere, uh, you know, perhaps middle of next year. But that's another year of just burning, uh, you know, burning cash. So, yes, if, if that were to happen, it would clearly uh, be a positive. However, I'm not expecting it to happen. It, you know, not going to happen this year. 
Patrick, in times past, uh, cruise lines were uh, would sort of be positioned as the value option uh, in tougher consumer times. Is that going to be of any help to them if, in fact, we do have uh, a little more concern about, uh, you know, spending in the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, even today, they are uh, an exceptional value uh, in, in relation to very expensive uh, land-based uh, vacation options at, at hotels. Uh, but again, you know, the challenge is uh, demand just took a huge hit and you're just coming back from such a low base. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to get enough demand in relation to, you know, sort of where we're starting um, and in relation to having next year 25 percent more um, rooms or berths to sell versus 2019. It's just a ton of supply out there. Um, I mean, it's going it, to luck is really going to have to turn for these folks and demand is really going to have to pick up from here on out um, uh, um, uh, for these uh, uh, for these companies. Yeah, does not look like uh, like a clear uh, path. Patrick, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk to Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Some football, but mostly about his big bet on that gas, more than doubling his billion dollar investment as that commodity is coming off a drubbing yesterday. Take a look at futures here as we kick off the month of July, Q3, and the second half. More Squawk on the Street when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom, and supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, Supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. Still to come, we'll talk more some some more Micron shares sliding down almost 4% after the results, the guidance, the CapEx cut, the inventory chatter, the qualitative color on PCs and smartphones and data center. Sanjay Marotra is going to join us exclusively on Tuesday after the long weekend on this hour, uh, 9.40 a.m. In the meantime, futures remain red. Opening bell in just about five and a half minutes. Take a look at Micron shares sliding uh, post results, warning about weakening consumer demand in smartphone sales and PCs. Here is Sanjay Marotra talking about the issue on yesterday's call. These consumer markets have been impacted by the weakness in consumer spending in China, the Russia-Ukraine war, and rising inflation around the world. COVID-19 control measures in China have exacerbated supply chain challenges for some customers and the macroeconomic environment is also creating some caution amongst certain customers. Several customers, primarily in PC and smartphone, are adjusting their inventories 
and we expect these adjustments to take place mostly in the second half of calendar 2022. By the way, CEO, as we said, is going to join us on Tuesday in this hour, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time. 53.12 this morning, uh, Leslie is going to take out the low for the year and take you back to the fall of 2020. Yeah, you had a downgrade from B of A as well, saying that fundamental growth recovery could be well into 23 for this stock. So looking pretty far out uh, for some sort of growth picture to hit. At least Micron, I, I'm curious, my gear take on how much we can extrapolate from his comments about consumer weakness. Yeah. And it's important to note that's global consumer weakness because sure. we talk all the time about how it's so strong here in the U.S. But globally, the picture looks quite different. For sure. How um, much we can extrapolate that to the rest of the chip sector? I mean, you absolutely can in the areas that were most affected. So I think if, I, if I'm looking at the market reaction here, again, this is a massive revenue miss on guidance. $2 so billion. Dollar it's yeah. $2 billion. So the point is you have to kind of scale that with how the stock is reacting after having already been down 43%. So the areas of most weakness were the areas where we kind of knew were going to be weak. Now, maybe they're weaker than we anticipated. But it shows you that the interplay between what the market's already been kind of bracing for and the actual news, you know, it, it doesn't always overlap in, uh, in time. So the stock was looking like it was six times earnings before the report. No, guess what? We're going to have to go down. B of A saying it's $7 a share next year. It's more like eight times earnings. But meanwhile, B of A has a $62 price target on our neutral. Which is so, a 12% it, again, it's yeah. already done a lot of uh, the pain's been felt to a large degree in the stock. Anyway. Let's get this opening bell uh, out of the way and then we'll resume the micron discussion. At the big board, it is Deloitte celebrating its cloud-based audit technology platform. And at the NASDAQ, it's 374 Water, a sustainable waste management company, as we officially get Q3 underway. Your point, Mike, about the damage that's already been done is exactly what Kramer's saying on his day off yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> Try as they may, uh, the analysts couldn't get Sanjay to say there was data center weakness, only low-end cell phone and all PC. Uh, down huge already. He says anything can go lower in this market. Although they did say on data center, we're seeing some enterprise OEMs wanting to pare back their memory and storage inventory uh, due to non-memory component storage uh, shortages and macro concerns. But uh, your point about the B of A call today, they go to 62. Right. It's a lot about the fallout of KLA 10 core. Yes. And uh, AMAT and some of those other names because the CapEx is going to decline. That's very true. And so there is an echo effect right there. And there's also that sense, you know, we've seen peak cycle, uh, B of A saying, you know, and, and implicitly the market saying, you're going to have to wait. I mean, you, it's, you know, you mentioned 2023. Well, it's less than half a year away at this point. So maybe that's not outside of the market's time horizon. But yeah, it, it, obviously we're in this uh, kind of period where you're downscaling expectations for what uh, the growth is going to look like. Okay. Um, semis, certainly not a leadership group as they had been before. Uh, they've, they've not been given the green light for the risk takers for a while. But again, down 40% is 40% uh, off of you know, pretty high number. And of course, you contrast that with some of the supply challenges of last year. Now it seems like the issue is more on the demand side That's of right. the equation. But they have finally caught up on the supply side. And of course, as Carl mentioned, there's been just this massive reversion. From shortages to gluts in the blink of an eye. And you know, yeah. the one thing we haven't yet mentioned is uh, uh, McConnell yesterday threatening to hold up the CHIPS Act uh, because of the partisan uh, Schumer mansion uh, hand-holding on a potential uh, reconciliation bill, uh, that's going to be important, too, if we can't, uh, if we are going to sacrifice sort of onshoring production uh, because of that, that's going to affect the industry as well. A longer-term issue for sure. Um, 
I, I, I guess it'll affect, you know, psychology and, and really, you know, kind of Intel's big bet on uh, on domestic manufacturing, which is, is mostly their own money. Uh, but they obviously wanted the backing and the help and the clearances uh, of this uh, of this bill. We'll see. It seems like it's, it's a bargaining chip at this point, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see what that means, because uh, we don't really even know what we're talking about in terms of you know, the, the maneuverings on the reconciliation stuff, how strong a push that right. is. Right. Although it is something that uh, Gary Cohn, former mm -hmm. National Economic Council director, talked about uh, with Jim last night. Take a listen to this. The most sophisticated semiconductors that we need today that are crucial to our national defense, our military industrial complex, as well as our everyday objects that we use, cars, the appliances we use, you know, manufacturing, farm equipment and all has these sophisticated chips in it if something happens in taiwan we are in trouble nobody wants to think about a world where we see that kind of shortage given our reliance on taiwan no um and it, it certainly gets to this whole idea of onshoring and how people are looking and reevaluating their supply chains and wondering kind of where the pain points are coming out of covid uh, and all the different policies across the supply chain coming out of um, just the overall inflationary picture and different yeah. pinpoints. It's it's really an interesting dynamic. Not to you know expand the the semiconductor story to the entire economy, but it's another way in which it'll be really interesting to see what the nature of this slowdown slash potential recession looks like. Again, yeah. I mentioned about the employment side. Uh, we, you know. We, we, I, 30 years ago, coming into this business, it was the first jobless recovery. And economists were flummoxed that we had this economic recovery and it wasn't kind of creating as many jobs. The economy was changing. I wonder if you could have the, a version of a full employment recession mm. uh, where employment really doesn't erode that much for demographic and other reasons and the fact that, but also on CapEx. I mean, are we now in a mode where longer term corporate balance sheets are okay and we simply feel like there are these longer term priorities that we have to fulfill in terms of building up capacity because the big shock was lack of productive capacity across the world. Did you see that op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today um, talking about just the, the fact that we don't need austerity right now and the right. impact that raising rising interest rates will have on just companies' ability to expand production? I think semiconductors is a, a good use case if, for those who are in the camp that believe that it's not the time to be rising, uh, raising interest rates because you need to be encouraging companies to grow faster, further, um, you know, for issues, at the very least, of national security. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you hope interest rates aren't the, the swing factor that's going to choke that stuff off, but at some level it will. We talked about the credit markets becoming a little stingier uh, at mm -hmm. this point. It's very illiquid in, in, in credit trading. So there's, you know, you have to be on alert for the fact that that's uh, kind of ratcheting in a direction of, 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 of again, squeezing the capital markets in a way that uh, we hadn't seen in the past couple. Of years. We just talked about the cruise lines and, yeah. and the p potential effect on on some of those highly leveraged travel names, and maybe retail. We yeah. haven't yep. yet uh, touched on Kohl's uh, calling off the eight billion dollar sale to Franchise Group, the owner of Vitamin Shop. Uh, they do cut the guide. Um, sees Q2 sales now down high single digits. They wore it down mid single digits. Yield six eight. Yeah, six yeah. eight. Uh, but you're gonna you're being paid to take that kind of risk. And they said specifically that this deal was not able to be consummated because of deteriorations in the financing markets, 
since they initially started this process. And this has been a very, very messy process from the beginning. If you recall, they initially rejected a $64 a share bid by uh, Starboard-backed Acacia Research, saying it was too low, ultimately wound up going into talks uh, with Franchise Group at about uh, $60 per share. They lowered that to upwards of $50 per share and then ultimately couldn't consummate a deal because the retail environment over this time has deteriorated so much and they couldn't get the financing, it seems like, in order to make this happen. And so now they're doing an accelerated buyback and they say, trust us on our strategic plan. And yeah, I mean, we'll it's sort of shades of, of, of Nordstrom, the failed take private, you know, and they yep. got, got a picky about the price point and then they tried to have it done. Um, you know, Kohl's itself, uh, as much as the fundamentals are challenged and the fact that, you know, we're not in the greatest environment for uh, that type of retailer, I mean, financially speaking, they're, they're okay. They're free cash flow yeah. positive. They're, they're fi- they have the free cash flow. I mean, you mentioned the dividend, Carl. I mean, if you had to cut it, it's a quarter billion dollars a year. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, yeah. So it's not like they don't have options. So it, it's, it's kind of just like fix the business and see where it settles out from there. Uh, as a matter of fact, what's been fascinating this for, for a decade is, is the lack of uh, financial transactions in retail relative to what yes. you would expect. Because the stocks have been, many of the chains have been cheap forever. It seems like real estate was the backstop, and it hasn't happened because obviously because of e-commerce and because the business just changed so fast. But you know, today you're not really seeing uh, legs uh, in terms of uh, other stocks in retail getting hit by the Coles. I mean, Gap is up a percent, Best Buy is up, so people aren't saying that there's anything really that's uh, informative about the rest of the sector by the fact that Coles uh, is not getting this deal done. If anything, Bed Bath & Beyond was a, a bigger yeah, warning the sign. Yeah. Um, obviously, a bit more of a precarious situation financially than Coles is as well. But to your point about the lack of consolidation, I mean, one of the key buyers, at least in the last decade, has been private equity. Absolutely. Uh, and private equity has gotten burned, by and large, in acquiring these types of assets. And so, obviously, you saw here with Franchise Group, uh, that was a... Um, a private equity buyer, but and there were some others in the mix here as well, but they're not going to go out on the risk spectrum. And I think that's kind of reading between the tea leaves here and understanding why they rejected uh, the inability to get financing and things like that. It's because it's a riskier deal, and private equity may have had that risk appetite to do these types of deals in the past. Yeah. They're, they're pairing that back because they've seen this movie before. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, by the way, in terms of market action at the open here, uh, it is interesting to see some people take bets on home builders. Uh, Lennar is going to be your top gainer, and Horton is in there as well. Pulte, uh, right behind Etsy as the market leaders at the open. Uh, I guess on the prospect of a marginal uh, second derivative in, in mortgage rates, we know that, we're under, structurally underhoused. Lumbers come in. Maybe labor gets cheaper, right? That's 100% right. I mean, it's, it's a direct you know, yield effect at this point, the 10-year uh, at 288, that doesn't send the greatest message in general, but it's relief for uh, for the mortgage uh, demand uh, picture. So that's 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 a big part of it. And you know, the, the two-year yield uh, at 283, 282, yeah, it was almost a three and a half a little while ago. So you're taking more than three potential rate hikes implicitly out of the two-year uh, horizon at this point versus what we thought a while ago. Now, I've seen some work, Piper Sandler had some work about um, the, the, the projected Fed funds rate in six months compared to in 18 months, and it's never uh, had this sharp a decline. In other words, people are saying in, starting in six months, 
You're going to have peak rates. Fed's going to have to be cutting. And that tends to be a precursor to a formal recession. So uh, that's the way the market's positioning right now, for sure. Interesting. And you can see, you know, we talked a little bit about commodities yesterday, but there's just been this bifurcation uh, between the metals, which are a signal of slowing economic demand, or at least investor uh, belief that they're slowing economic demand for them. And then on the crude side of things, they are in the green today. You've got uh, WTI now at about 108, obviously much yeah. higher before that. Gas prices have come down um, a little bit. Ahead 15% of this. on the wholesale level uh, for gasoline. Yeah. I filled up my tank, I think, at the peak, though. I try and, you know. Yeah, you wanted I a, try and game you it. You wanted a top ticket? Yeah, we have way? a hybrid. Yeah. So I'm like, if I'm filling up my tank, I want to get a good deal. That's how you know you got the best gas because you paid the most for it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I definitely did it wrong this, this week. <laughs> well, we are coming off a losing month of crude. Uh, and as Leslie says, gasoline, you should be seeing some relief. Uh, our Bob wholesale gas prices are the lowest since middle of May. So as I said on Twitter yesterday, if your gas station doesn't start yeah. trimming price, <laughs> Find a new gas station. Uh, as for the laggards, though, it is, it's, a, it's a micron halo, essentially. Lamb, Research, KLA, On Semi, AMAT. And then, Mike, AMD uh, and NVIDIA, are not, Qualcomm, Skyworks, Intel yeah. are not going to escape this idea no. that not just, I mean, it's not just about smartphones weakening, uh, but PCs down 10 for the year. That's Micron's view. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the closer you are to that, that's going to be the biggest uh, impact. And yeah, I mean, th there's absolutely no doubt that uh, semis held up so much better for so much longer on the idea, perhaps, that there was something secular going on, that you can escape some of the, uh, the gravity of a typical cycle. And it, it doesn't mean that's invalid at this point, but it shows you people aren't willing to pay up for the idea anymore at this point. Yeah. Spe uh, speaking of cyclicality, you saw kind of a wave of price cuts of from analysts cutting uh, prices of bank stocks this morning as well. That came out of Wells Fargo, RBC, Piper Sandless. Analysts at all of those shops just announced a whole slew of bank stock cuts. Stocks not re responding too much to them, a bit lower in pre-market, but now you can see JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, you know, relatively unfazed. Uh, we'll keep our eye, speaking of uh, uh, financial-related uh, commodities, keep your eye on Bitcoin, 19.3. Uh, um, the market cap now, as we've said last few weeks, about a little more than uh, three quarters of a billion dollars. As I said, yeah. a couple of Johnson and Johnsons. Yeah. Speaking of fire sales um, in retail, uh, still looking to see some resolution on BlockFi and whether or not you're really talking about deals at pennies on the dollar. Penny fire sales. Yeah. You know, there's the best microcosm is just looking at the performance for the first half. Um, you know, you had Bitcoin down 60 percent. You had the dollar index. Uh, put forth by the Wall Street Journal, up 9%, one of the few gainers. And so when you look at just overall risk appetite in the market during the first half, perhaps there's a uh, you know, few things that really tell that story, like the divergence between Bitcoin and the dollar. And it's, it feels as if uh, everyone is looking at it in a couple different respects. One, there obviously was a tremendous wealth effect. It was the paper wealth effect that fueled a certain kind of spending, but also another kind of speculation, right? I mean, the whole NFT boom was basically people just sort of laundering their crypto winnings in some, in some way. Uh, but on the other piece of it is, is, is it systemic? Are there links to other parts of the financial system? Uh, is anybody going to be caught out? What's happened to the deleveraging process? So far, it's not as if you've seen, you know, any of those holes being blown in the, you know, in the hall. So I don't know. We, we, we got to wait. Yeah. I mean, Deutsche had a great chart yesterday looking at Fed total assets and Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah. And I know people argue about causation, but 
if that top number, if Fed assets rolls over, then what happens to Bitcoin? Deutsche's view is maybe this is just beginning. Sam Bankman-Fried tonight on Crypto Night in America. Maybe we'll get more answers on the future of the asset and specifically about BlockFi in particular. Yeah, he said at the Stone Conference a few weeks ago that he thinks that there's actually a correlation between uh, the fact that inflation was higher than the print suggested a long time ago. And that's why you were seeing Bitcoin come down. And he thinks there is some sort of inflection point where you'll start to see it go back higher again. Kind of a different take. I but, mean, um, just on the Fed balance sheet thing, I mean, so the Fed balance sheet kind of hesitates at all time highs and crypto goes down 60 percent. I mean, what's the are we really saying that there's some kind of dollar for dollar relationship and how this works? I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of disagreements yeah. about where, what Bitcoin is tracking. Uh, we are up 60 points to start the quarter. Uh, let's get to Bob Bassani. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. A uh, bit of a flattish open, a little bit to the plus side, maybe. About even on the advanced decline line. Everybody's watching that 10-year yields move to the downside. Watch the commodities. Oil's up, but copper's at a new low today. And the DBB, that uh, metals ETF that I watch, also 52-week low. Take a look at these sectors. Of course, energy was the big winner in the first half, still up today. Uh, consumer staples strong. Those discretionaries are doing well. Uh, guys mentioned the home builders. They're all nicely helping the S&P 500 there. There's your semiconductor index. No surprise there after the Micron comments. We got a lot of new lows uh, in semiconductors today, led by Micron. Of course, you heard uh, weakening consumer demands. Uh, they're talking about hurting cell phone sales. But we got new lows in NVIDIA, Lamb Research. Uh, advanced micro uh, as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. For the second half, well, there's two obvious issues here that we're dealing with. One is this whole pivot from inflation to whether or not we have a soft landing or recession. And that's the dividing line right there, that slash. What side of the debate are you on? And then, of course, everyone has been waiting for these downward revisions to earnings estimates we talk about uh, endlessly. I just want to show you the estimates are still quite high. And the only reason they're this high is because the oil companies are moving the numbers. But for Q3, we're still uh, looking at estimates of about 11 percent. Uh, and for Q4, still almost 11 percent. These are actually uh, higher than they were on April 1st. So they're not overall reducing the numbers. And again, the only reason they're this high is because the energy companies are pushing these estimates uh, up rather noticeably. Uh, so we've got this 10% increase in earnings. And a lot of the top-down strategists are saying, well, you know, we might not be able to do that. The S&P could have another 10% down. And that's how you get to 3,400, where a lot of people, a lot of strategists have been talking about. Want to update you on the second half of the year on the IPO picture. Could it be any worse? I've been covering IPOs for 25 years. I can't remember a collapse like this. We had 21 IPOs in the second quarter that raised $2.1 billion. Is that a little, a lot? Well, in the second quarter of 2021, it was much more normal. We had 118 IPOs raising $40 billion. That's a 95% collapse year over year. You don't have that very often. We had that in 2008, 2009. We had it in 2002. Uh, but again, those were after really big down years. So this is one of the worst starts to IPOs uh, in a long, long time. So what's up? Well, there's three main points here. Everybody knows here. Number one is market volatility. That's the major head. When you get the VIX over 25 consistently, it's a major, major problem for the markets overall. That's a big, big issue. So the problem here uh, is we've got to get the VIX down. Then you have lower potential valuations and poor aftermarket performance. How poor has the performance been? Lousy. We only have 11% of the IPOs trading above their issuance prices that went public last year. 11%. Typically, you get eh, 50, 60%. That tells people who are going public saying, holy cow, we can't 
go public with that, the numbers down like that, it's a real emotional and intellectual headwind uh, for people who are looking to go public uh, out there. There's a lot of great companies, though, just sitting on the sidelines, waiting to go public. One of the big ones is Mobileye. That's, of course, uh, Intel's big self-driving vehicle technology company. Uh, and we've got Arm, a huge chip designer that's sitting out there. Instacart's been waiting for a long time. That's a big grocery delivery platform. We've got Discord. That's the big uh, platform. It's really popular with the gamers. It's a, a voice chat service. That, that could have a $10 billion plus valuation sitting out there. And there's other ones that are out there. Reddit is there, uh, the big social media platform. There's a potential one. And Travelport, a distribution uh, platform for the travel industry. So Carl uh, and, and Leslie and Mike, there's no shortage of potential companies uh, that are sitting out there. But in this kind of environment, uh, when the valuations are under pressure and when you've got enormous volatility, it's very difficult to make any argument right now to go public. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. We'll see you in a bit, uh, Bob Pisani. Still to come this morning, don't miss our exclusive interview with the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and oil billionaire Jerry Jones, more than doubling his billion-dollar investment in natural gas, which, by the way, uh, fell below the 200-day yesterday for the first time since February, back above it this morning. As we go to break, let's get a look at the bond report. We've talked about declining yields for most of the morning. There's that 10-year at 287 and the long bond at 309. Dow's up 160. We're back in a minute. Even though we've switched over to a new quarter, take a look at the gainers for the week. Uh, General Mills, a best week since March. One of the names that Kramer suggested as uh, being recession-proof, followed by a lot of energy names. Uh, Hess, Valero's in there, some defense, and actually home builders catching up a bit uh, week to date, given today's price action. Dow's up 133. Squawk on the Street continues after a short break. Chinese President Xi Jinping speaking in Hong Kong today, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the city's handover from Britain. Our Eunice unit is live from Beijing with the latest. Eunice, what's the reaction been like there? Well, Leslie, the reaction has been positive, especially in the state media, as you would imagine. And also on social media, there's been a lot of discussion about the 25th anniversary. Uh, in fact, the hashtag about it got more than 1.5 billion views, all praising the fact that President Xi was there and uh, um, the fact that Hong Kong has been returned to China uh, in the past 25 years. So uh, the uh, other uh, significant event here is that this was President Xi's first trip outside of the mainland since the start of the pandemic nearly 900 days ago. He took a special train across the border to Hong Kong where he swore in the new chief executive, uh, John Lee, who um, is seen as a hardliner who had overseen the crackdown on protesters in 2019. Uh, President Xi also addressed a lot of the concerns that the business community has had, uh, both the, uh, the business community within Hong Kong as well as outside, saying that Beijing was committed to supporting Hong Kong's role as an international hub, expanding linkages with the world and promoting markets and development. At the same time, he repeated positions towards Hong Kong, though, that have been worrying some of the business community, Carl, such as the need to restore order from chaos. What a remarkable week uh, in China this week. Uh, Eunice, thank you. Eunice Yoon in Beijing this morning. After the break, we're going to check in with our cash in, talk about how to best play 
the second half of trading of the year, which is now officially underway at 3807. We're back in two. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV and more. Get no cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. Zero dollar copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.